Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Something's got to hold on you And it's pushing me aside So you'd stretch on forever And I know I'm right For the first time in my life That's why I tell you Better be home soon. Stripping back the clothes, the lies and deception. All right, 932. Again, reminding folks, this is uh, my last show. I will last show till Monday. We'll be off tomorrow for Thanksgiving and off for Friday, which I still call Thanksgiving. I don't buy into that Black Friday nonsense. And then uh, I'll be out next Thursday and Friday, too. And it's none of your business why. And then I'll be off the whole week of Christmas. So what I'm basically telling you is, for a guy that never takes off, I never take off. The next five weeks, I'm taking off a lot. <laughs> uh, and tomorrow is one of my favorite holidays. I'll be in New City, New York, up in Rockland County. My niece, Tamara, my nephew, Lorne. My mom's going to be there. My sisters and brother-in-laws and nephews and nieces. In fact, uh, the last time I celebrated Thanksgiving at Tamara's house, was the last time I saw my father. You know that, Lou and uh, Justin? I went to Tamara's house in 2020 for Thanksgiving. It was actually 2019, I stand corrected. And I saw my dad, and there's pictures of me and my dad eating together. You remember that picture? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he got very, very sick, and he died six months later, and that right. prick Andrew Cuomo wouldn't let me go see him. Screw that mother ever. Screw that guy. Right. So that was the last time I saw my dad. Thanksgiving Day at Tamara's house. Have not been back since. We'll be there tomorrow. I know the story well. Very emotional day. Yeah, I'm talking about emotional. Look, look at this uh, beautiful young girl I've got in the studio right now. She's uh, 28 years old. Her name is Natalie Sanandaji, I think. Did I say it correctly? Yes. I did. Okay. And uh, Natalie is back in New York after surviving, and that's the right word, the music festival on that Saturday morning, October the 7th in Israel, where 260 people died and a lot of young, beautiful people like Natalie. I mean, I think for me, the face of that whole thing was uh, Shani Luke. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you knew her personally, if you were dancing anywhere near her. Actually, uh, my friend who just got married about a week before all of this happened, Shawnee Luke was one of her best friends and was at her wedding. Oh, my God. 
If you've had an accident, trust Gabo Law, personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Gabo Law has recovered millions for their clients and will be able to help you. But don't take our word for it. Read all of their five-star reviews from former clients on Google, Avo, and Facebook. Call Gabo Law today at 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or email at info at gabolaw.com. Gabo Law, where winning is no accident. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. Uno. He's your numero uno. Did you see her at all during that day? No. Tell me about that day. You know, I grew up, um, I have two older sisters, and they went to Woodstock. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, that was a two-day event. And it was just about music and love, and everybody was happy. And I'm told that this music festival in Israel, years and years later, obviously, kind of mirrored Woodstock. Is that is that a fair comparison? Yeah, it's actually funny. That's a comparison that I've made myself in a lot of my speeches. Um, I'll talk a little bit about why. So out of all the like electronic music subgenres that there are, Psytrance, I would say, is one of the smaller communities. What do you call this? Psytrance. What the hell is that? That's the type of music that uh, was at the Nova Festival. Oh, so it wasn't the Grateful Dead or... uh... So is that like house music? Or? Yes. So it's a okay. subgenre. There's like techno. Um, there's all different types of subgenres. There's tech house and then there's psytrance. And okay. I would say the community, the type of people who go to psytrance events are very hippie-ish. And that's why I would com- I would compare them a lot to Woodstock. Yeah. It's because the type of people that go to these events are just the most loving, yeah. kind-hearted, sweetest, most pure people and there's a lot of irony in the fact that they were the ones that were attacked. Yeah. I guess you would just, um, I guess, uh, throw out the weed for the Mali uh, in comparing Woodstock to uh, your event. <laughs> I would say there's a lot of weed at Psytrance oh, Festival that too. as well. Okay, yes. is, weed, is weed legal in Israel? I don't even know. I don't even know. But it was legal those days. So, <laughs> so when do you show up for that event? Um, me and my three friends that I came with, we showed up at 1 a.m. On Saturday morning? Yeah. Okay. And when did it actually start? I think it started around 10 p.m. Friday night. Friday night. Yeah. And how many friends did you actually go with? So I arrived with three friends, all Israelis, and then we met up there with about 15 or 20 of their other friends. And how far from the festival were you staying? How long was your trip? So I think it was about a two-hour drive. Oh, wow. It was far. Yeah. And then, but once you get to the festival, you, you set up your campsite. And the campsites are surrounding the dance floor. So you can, like, when you're on your campsite, you can still hear the music. So there's, like, a big stage in the middle. Yeah. And then uh, kind of like Woodstock, that big grassy field, you guys set up tents. But instead of a grassy field, we have sandy dirt. Is that what it's it, Israel. it looked that way? It was, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. Israel. We don't really have good grassy fields. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So you had sandy dirt, and you set up camps yeah. and tents. And how many people would you estimate were actually there for this event? I would say between two to three thousand. Two to three thousand. Around 
around there. Okay. That's what I would say. Uh, even when the attack started, that many? Yeah. Okay, because I was under the impression that almost everybody died. Of course, that's not the case. No. All right, so, so take me now. You get there about 1 o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. right? And uh, what time is it when you start to hear stuff that's not music? So we arrive at around 1, and we dance for about two hours till about 3, 3.30, and then me and my three friends decided to go back to the campsite and rest. We were a little tired, I guess, from the drive and just from the whole week in general. There were a lot of holidays that week. And we decided to go rest for a few hours and wake up refreshed for the sunrise set. Of so, the so festival. tell me again, how, how far is that camp set again for the actual stage? Probably like a two minute walk. Two minute walk. That's yeah. it. Okay, you're close. So, um, so yeah, you can still hear the music. You could still see the people dancing like from your campsite. So we we go to take a rest for a few hours, and we said, like, we're going to wake up for the sunrise set, which is generally the most exciting part of any festival. It's when the best DJs tend to go on. And we're sleeping, and at around 6.30, one of the girls from our campsite came back from the dance floor because she knew we were sleeping, and she wanted to make sure we were alert to what was happening, so alert she to knew, the situation. She was able to escape leave the stage area and get back to your camp, and she was alive and well. Yes. And she said to you exactly what? She woke us up, and with a big smile on her face, she said, good morning, guys. I just want you guys to know what's happening. I want you to be alert. A few rockets have been sent our way, intercepted overhead. But it's fine. It's normal for the area that we're in. It'll probably just be a few, and the party will probably continue. So, so, So you were not under attack yet. The guys were not there who came in by hang gliders and drove in. This was just the rockets overhead. Yes. Okay. So at this point, it was just the rockets, and everyone thought the party would continue. But I want you to imagine a festival happening anywhere else in the world where kids react in such a calm manner to rockets being intercepted over their heads yeah, and yeah. thinking like, oh, we're going to continue partying. Well, you were high. That, <laughs> actually, I, I was completely sober. No, I, I was sleeping. Right, right, right. But... but um, that simply wouldn't happen. No, of course not. But for Israeli I, I'd be yelling kids, and screaming and crying. I, I wouldn't even if, know what to imagine do. Imagine Coachella. Like, all these kids would be screaming and crying right. and peeing their pants. Like, right. they, they'd be freaking out. But for Israeli kids, this is the reality. If Israelis completely stopped their day every time a few rockets were sent their way, they would get nothing done. Right. This happens right. on a semi-regular basis. So... At first, we thought, like, maybe it really just will be a few, because at the end of the day, we were by the Gaza border, and this is something that happens. How close How close to the Gaza border was that uh, campsite? In regards to feet? If you're driving, how long would it take you? I think maybe, like, ten Ten minutes, minutes you're right there. Something Oof. like that. Right there, yeah. Um, yeah. And a lot of people asked, like... When I knew that it was so close, was I not nervous to go uh, to this party? And there's a few things I'd like to point out that, first of all, with festivals like this in Israel, you usually don't receive the location until a few hours before the party starts. That's all about security, right? Yeah. Yeah. So at this point, like it's already a few hours before you're not going to not go to a party. And secondly, people need to realize Israel is surrounded by enemies. So the day before the party, I went up to the north and I went hiking Am I not going to go to the north because it's near enemies? No, of course like, not. No, you're yeah. going to live your life. You're well, going to go your, about your day. What are your parents say? I mean, you're still young. You're in your 20s. Were your parents nervous? Or they're like, you know, nah, they're just used to this type of stuff. My mom was born and raised in Israel. So yeah. for her, she's like, she encourages me to go to Israel every year. She encourages me to explore. Right. My mom 
in elementary school had to hide under her desk because they were being bombed and glass flew in her eye. You know, this is stuff she grew up with. Mm. And for my mom, it's like you can't live your life in fear all the time. You can't not experience life. Well, I agree. That's what they want, right? That's when the terrorists win. Yeah. So how long after your friend comes in and it's just rockets and she says, good morning, guys, blah, 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 do you all of a sudden come to the realization there are men on the ground here to kill us? So that that took a little bit of time. So from the moment she woke us up, we we stood up. We're just looking up at the sky. We're seeing the rockets being intercepted. And after about maybe five minutes, we realized that this isn't just any other ordinary situation, that this is worse than that, because it wasn't just five or seven rockets. It was 10, 15, 20. They just kept coming. And then eventually the festival security shuts off the music and announces on the loudspeakers, for everyone to please pack up their campsite and evacuate to their car. Now, at that point, are you nervous? Are you still like, okay, it's it's not great, but I'll be okay? So I'll say personally, for me, from the moment she woke me up, I think my body went into an automatic state of shock and disassociation. Mm. And I never understood before this what an out-of-body experience felt like until this happened because it felt very much out-of-body. It felt as if my mind and body was trying to protect itself from the intensity it was feeling. Yeah. And it made, it was out of body in the sense that I didn't want to believe it was happening to me. Right. It felt like I was watching it right. happen to right. me. So stick with that. So now the rockets are firing. Yes. You've got this out of body experience. The guys on the ground who killed some people you even knew that day aren't there yet, but they're coming. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. Paul Young, every time I go away from the great movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, that last Thanksgiving Day scene, very good, Lewis, with Steve Martin and uh, John Candy. Back here with the very brave Natalie Sanandaji, who was once again at the music festival that morning, October the 7th, that horrible morning. Uh, she's talked to us about how she was warned by her friend. She was sleeping back at the camp, a very quick walk to the stage, that the rockets were overhead. And then now take me to the part where you actually find out there are men on the ground there to kill you. So we evacuate to our cars and we start driving out. And eventually, after a few minutes, the festival security starts yelling at everybody to please pull their cars over to the side of the road and get out of their cars and start running. And at this point, we can't understand why they would ask us to do such a thing. Why would they tell us to run from rockets? But we listen to them because we know that they're just trying to help us. And we pull our car over, and that's when we hear the first gunshots. And as soon as we hear the first gunshots, we open our doors and we start to run. And try to imagine this festival took place in an open field. There's not many places to hide. Kids are running in every direction possible. One of the most terrifying things was running in a certain direction, thinking that you're running to safety, and then suddenly seeing dozens of kids from the group that first left, because there were like, there was like the first group that left. We were kind of in this middle group, and then there was the last group. And you suddenly see dozens of kids running in your direction, and you realize that they're being pursued and they're being shot at. And you now have to make a split second decision and change directions in order to save your life. And a lot of people asked me, how did you know what decisions to make? How did you know what decision was going to get you killed or save your life? And I spoke to someone a few weeks ago who interviewed a lot of Holocaust survivors, and he said that when they were asked how they knew what decision to make in a life-and-death decision, in a life-and-death situation, they coined a phrase. They called it choiceless choices. And it's a choice where 
in a moment, you simply have to make a choice. You don't know which choice is going to be the right one, but you have to make a choice. And I think that perfectly describes every decision we made while running from the Hamas terrorists. Wow. And how did you eventually get away from Because a lot of folks ran, and they ran into bomb shelters, mm-hmm. which they blew up. They took the pretty girls for, quote-unquote, rape and blew up the rest of the people with hand grenades. How'd you, how were you able to get off the grounds and to complete safety? Because so, they, they had guys in cars waiting for you, didn't yeah. they? So so that's the thing. A lot of people asked if I survived because I was one of the first people to leave. And the answer is no, because that first group that left right in the beginning, most of them were killed because the Hamas terrorists were waiting for them. Wow. I was in this middle group where I think most of the survivors came from, that middle group. And then the last group, the ones that like stayed back at the festival grounds, they were also mostly killed because the Hamas terrorists came for them as well. Did you see any uh, people killed? Did you see the actual Hamas guys, or were you were you spared of all of that? I was spared of most of that. I, like I said, I saw those kids being shot down, but they were like running from down a hill, and I was kind of above them. Yeah. Um, so I saw them from a distance. I always tell people if I saw the Hamas terrorists up close and personal, I probably wouldn't be here today speaking to you. Oh, I know it would be a horrible thing. Thank God you didn't, and thank God uh, you are here today speaking to me because, uh, first of all, this is a great conversation, and you're courageous and brave and a young lady and beautiful. I've got a daughter not much younger than you, and I couldn't even imagine what you guys are going through those uh, those days and uh, those days since, which I'm sure uh, do you wake up ever in the middle of the night and just – Start sweating or you hear those rockets or hear the kids screaming or how's that gone for you since you've left? I think the only time I have kind of like a PTSD reaction is anytime I hear a very loud noise that resembles the rockets being intercepted. I kind of like panic Freaks for a out. second. Yeah. Um, I was also in a bathroom at one point at a restaurant and they were playing a song and an alarm went off. And my automatic reaction was like, oh, my God, I have to get out of this bathroom and go into a bomb shelter. And then I just I occurred to me that it's just a song and that oh I'm no God. longer in Israel. I'm sorry. Tell me about this group, CAM, that uh, you work with now every day. So I started working um, since this happened, since I've come back uh, to the States for the combat anti-Semitism movement. And what they do is um, they set up summits um, to meet with world leaders and to talk about anti-Semitism all over the world and how we can fight it. And the work that they are doing is especially important right now because since coming back from Israel and since surviving the Hamas terrorist attack, I have honestly felt less safe here than I felt at any point in Israel with all of the attacks that are happening here, especially in New York. New York is the place where I grew up, where I called home my entire life. And suddenly I see my friends feeling unsafe here, hiding their Jewish star necklaces, taking the mezuzahs off their doors, which is a prayer school that's supposed to protect your home. And they're taking them off in order to protect their home from being targeted. And it's just so sad to see what's happening here and what's unfolding. She just said she was at the music festival when nearly 300 people were murdered, assassinated. She comes back to New York and feels less safe. I mean, I wish I can get this tape to the mayor, Eric Adams, or the governor, Kathy Hochul, because people say that all the time, and they Mm -hmm. laugh it off. Oh, that's your perception. But you're right. I've told kids, don't take your yarmulkes off. Don't take your Jewish stars off. Because it's like letting them win. They've won. Exactly. Well, listen, in the last minute, there are some people that think that this hostage swap, and they love Israeli people. They understand we value each life. To a certain extent, they won there. Mm -hmm. Do you understand that? Yeah. Yeah. That's the thing. With these hostage, hostage swaps, it's upsetting to know that we're letting out people who are a threat and who are dangerous. But at the end of the day, that's 
the core of Judaism is that we care so much about every single Jewish life. And it does give hope that we're going to get some of them back. But at the end of the day, it doesn't end. It doesn't end there because we want all of them back. Right. Hopefully we get them all back. What are you doing for Thanksgiving on a lighter note? Um, tonight I'm doing a Friendsgiving and then tomorrow I'll probably just do something with my parents, something Good. small, quiet. Good. I, I miss being with them. You have a lot to them. be thankful for if you think yes. of, I mean, right? Yes. You really do. I have a lot to be thankful for. I've, yeah. I've been given a second chance at life. Good for you. You are, you're great. Please keep coming back. And, Thank um, you. you know, you become a very important voice. All of my friends that, uh, speak every day, uh, at, uh, different universities, at places on the internet, they all know you. And uh, they appreciate what you do. So thank you so thank much. You. Natalie Sanandaji, folks. If you had an accident, trust Gabu Law, personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Gabu Law has recovered millions for their clients and they will be able to help you. But don't take our word for it. Read their five-star reviews from former clients on Google, Avvo and Facebook called Gabu Law today. 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or email them at info at gabolaw.com. That's G-A-B-O law.com. Gabo Law, where winning is no accident.